How's the last few years been for you, Paul? Absolutely terrible. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm just back running out again. You know, it's been not getting emotional now. I stop it. Are you always been there? This is just another step back. You know, I won't get too elated, but I've had a pretty shit for the last couple of years. But it's been great. It's still me. Getting out of bed every morning, putting the yards in, and although I probably came off the rails a couple of times, I'm well and truly back on them now. So, hey, boy, what's next? Hard to know, man. Stoke Moyle and National. So, might go to race with Spikes on next time. But this is all about the gold medal race. Paul Robinson has been through so much. Two athletes at different ends of their career at the moment, but both locked together as they turn for home. Tobin and Robinson. Robinson and Tobin. Paul Robinson out on the outside of lane one. He has the speed, but Tobin might have the strength. Neck and neck, shoulder to shoulder. Who's going to get it? Paul Robinson looks to have it, but can he last? Tobin's coming back on the inside. Robinson and Tobin to the line. Can't separate them. What a race. Ah, uh, listen, Carlos. To be honest, I was nearly getting a little bit emotional over there. It's just, I'm absolutely thrilled. You know, I don't. I, listen, I could blabber on about all the choice and tribulations I've been through, but it, it's just to be back to win the national medal with the standard of the race that it was. You just said, ah, listen, I'm ready for the ride now. Ah, yeah, just the right to get it. Alright, yeah. Perfect, yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Um you're are you self isolating? I am self isolating, I sure am. I just got in. I got in last night, so I'm uh yeah, I'm just fucking gonna be bored out of my tree, maybe for the next two weeks. <laughs> Stuff like this will keep me interested though. <laughs> keep me busy. Yeah, that's good. Are you, is your season finished now? Yeah, yeah, so my season's finished. I was maybe gonna do a couple of more races, but I've had a I, I, I suppose I'm just kind of happy enough where where I'm at at the moment, um, so I'm just probably just gonna rest up now and get kind of get trained again. There's not really, there's not really left on. Only there's a Diamond League in Doha, and then there was maybe talk of going to <coughs> Nairobi to run a fifteen hundred. But uh, I think that's nah, probably just best to kind of just wrap myself up now and get back training. I was watching the news the other night, and they were saying I had seen that race in Nairobi, and then I saw some news reports saying Nairobi is like really badly affected with COVID. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, probably, probably dodged the bullet. Ah, listen, I, to be honest though, it's mad because I reckon, um, you know, obviously, I, I, we had got the, uh, the instructions of what you need to go there. You need to get something like four tests, two before you go, one when you get over there and then one to leave. So funny enough, traveling around to these races, you, you would have thought, you know, it's probably not the best thing to be doing, but I, I felt it was the safest place to be. Because every race we were going to, we were getting tests before we'd go. And then we'd get tests pretty much. Some, some races made you get a test when you got there. And everyone had to have a test to be in the Mi Hotel. So you're, you're, you're in a place where you know everyone has been tested. Which, yeah. you know, it's probably, it's probably a lot safer than what other people were doing, you know, going back to work and all that sort of stuff. So Definitely, yeah. How do you see the future of races for the rest of the year in Ireland? Anyway? I don't know. Like, to be honest, I think if we just get organized, it's, it's more an organization thing. You know what I mean? Just being organized and making sure you have the right protocols in place because, you know, I've been racing all over Europe this year. And as I said, uh, touch wood, there, there, was no, there was no problem with COVID really. Um, and it, like 
as as long as the safety measures are taken are are good i can't see why why we can't even even have international races because like as i said every race that i went to unless you were st- unless i was staying in the same household so like i was staying in the same household with with the australian guys so that meant when we went to a race i could room with them but if i wasn't if i wasn't racing with them then we were in we all had our separate rooms you know um and that's why i said like there was real strict kind of safety precautions taking a place. So I think as long as that stuff goes ahead, yeah, I can't, I can't really see a problem with, with, with race. And I think definitely I would be surprised if there wasn't a domestic cross country season. Um, and then I can't see why we can't have an indoor season. As I said, it's just the safety precautions to, to be taking place. Like we don't know if there's going to be a second wave or, or any of this sort of stuff, but it's kind of mad though because I feel like here I feel like we're a little bit behind here because it, like over when I was in England like the NHS it's free it's free um it's free testing you know like for me to go to that race in Marseille I had to do a private test to go and that cost me like 150 euro so like obviously that doesn't make sense but I can't I, I can't see why we can't just get tested all the time I know obviously there's the financial thing but. You know, I, I especially think for sports, like if if we're going to have these races, yeah, we need to have testing before you can actually go race the race. You know, so I don't know. It's going to be a, a huge organizational problem, but I suppose that's what the people are there for. That's 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 their jobs, really, isn't it? It's free though if you're referred by a GP, isn't it? Like if you're showing symptoms, the test here? is free. Oh yeah. yeah, but if you're if you obviously yeah, if you're here, you can ring up. But then there's the problem. You, you you're ringing up saying you, you've got symptoms. You know, so if you've got symptoms, you probably shouldn't be going to a race anyway, you know? So oh, yeah, I suppose they just don't have the infrastructure to just test everyone yeah. at all times. Yeah. Listen, it's, it's developing, and I, uh, but I'd be hopeful that, that we have a cross-country season anyway. So, and if we don't have a cross-country season, I'm pretty sure we'll have an indoor season. To some, it'll be different, I suppose. You know, it'll be definitely, you know, we probably can't have everyone in the same, in the same indoor arena at the same time, but if we, you know, kind of like structure... The time and the timetable and stuff like that. I can't see. I can't see why. Why not? Yeah. Well, the outdoors worked, and there's for a few weeks on. Yeah. There's no. There's no cases, so that all worked out. No, well. and they still had the, the the juniors, the juniors, and then the masters. So yeah, I think it's just it's a it's a step by step. You know, I think it's it's just kind of developing the timetable, and and it's all new. So you know, I'll give it time. I reckon. Good stuff. So um, I know, but this is pretty cool. I, I was actually thinking of doing a, uh, you know, when everyone was trying to come up with their ideas during lockdown what like just keep themselves sane i was actually thinking of doing a podcast it's pretty good <laughs> it's a pretty good uh i don't know hobby i i, I enjoy listening to your podcast as well it's, pr- it's a pretty good one you know it's uh yeah it gets better every week obviously when you start off it's shit like and that just goes with it you know <laughs> yeah but uh yeah you just gotta go with the flow in there it's grand I, i'm doing marketing in college and i was like it'd be good for the cv if anything else so i said why not 100 percent, 100 percent. i think it's missing as well i think like younger kids like they need to listen to more personable interviews because then they kind of feel like it's not an unreachable mark like it's not that you're not some mythical person that's on this pedestal you're just normal fella like <laughs> that makes sense i think so anyway. I, yeah a hundred percent and I, I, I yeah I, I definitely think so as well and especially when you're listening to a podcast you you actually see you get you feel like you get to know the person a little bit better you know whereas like you if you follow someone on instagram you know as we know it's not it's not the real world this is a bit more personable you get kind of get a feel for what what the person's actually like whereas you're following someone on instagram you feel like you you feel like you know them and then you might meet them in person you're like what the, what's this about <laughs> you know it's a totally different it's a totally different person exactly yeah. so 
you're probably one of the few people who's had a, a good 2020. Looking back now, what's the overriding feeling yeah, or emotion? Man, I, like, uh, yeah, man. Like, I, I've had a, I've had a brilliant 2020. To be honest, like, listen, I think I've said this a couple of times, and maybe some of the interviews that I had. Listen, COVID was obviously it's it's been tough for tough for a lot of people and stuff like that. But but for me, it was uh, you know, for for running wise, it was probably a, it was a, it was a blessing in disguise. You know, just in terms of kind of the Olympics kind of coming up and. Yeah, it just gave me an opportunity just to be able to to reset, Liam. Uh, twenty twenty was just a weird. It was a weird year from the get go. Me and me and Michelle and Sean, we went over to Australia and we were meant to train at a place called Falls Creek. So it's 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 the altitude kind of training camp that everyone kind of does in Australia in in um, in January. So it's mad. It's a it's a great experience. Like it's it's not it's, it's like nothing. I've ever, I remember the first time I went out there. I just thought this this was mad. It's like kind of the whole athletics community. So it's like the equivalent of everyone in athletics Ireland going to this ski resort. That's it's in the summer. It's just kind of like uh, ski trails, and it's at altitude, and the whole athletics community is there. So like, and everyone does the same training, man. It's nuts. So everyone knows like it's like set in stone what the training is. And everyone just goes and does it. So, like, the first session up there, like, you could have, you know, uh, kids from, like, 12, 13 that are on their summer holidays all the way up to, you know, elite the elite athletes that would be there, like, you know, like Stewie McSwain and, and Brett Robinson. And there could be 500 people up there, you know? And you're, you're starting a session, and it's just absolute carnage. So, you know, it's exciting to kind of go up there every year. But this year, there was bushfires, so we, we couldn't actually go there. So we, we stayed in the city a lot, which... You know, it's great. Obviously, you're in Melbourne City. It's actually it's a brilliant city, but uh, best coffee yes, spot in the world. The best coffee spot in the world. But like, I I never drank coffee, man, until I went to uh, until I went to Australia. Really, you know, uh, and then I just became one of these kind of coffee connoisseur snubs, man. You know, just this I the fucking you know the, the hipster wank there that you don't the hipster guy that you just don't want to be but i turned into one of them man because you can't help once you go over there and you, you start drinking that sort of coffee you come home here and you realize oh man it's, it's hard to find a good cup of coffee you know but it's getting better here it's getting better dublin's but, uh, dublin's probably one of the best cities in europe for coffee um in europe yeah yeah well obviously london's pretty good uh but yeah no dublin is like there's some good spots around around dublin even in minute there's there's a, there's a good spot uh, but yeah, that that kind of I just don't think it's it's re, it's it's kind of still a hipster scene, scene here, kind of really, you know. Like people don't, it's like people just still think Starbucks and, and Costa, but these kind of like I don't know these these uh, these coffee shops where you go in and it's probably just one of these wooden stool, stools or you're sitting on like the empty like beer case and things, you know. That's uh, they're still kind of a bit bit new here, but they're cool. Yeah, that's my it's my kind of scene though. Yeah, the wildfires in Australia seems like it feels like it was like two years ago now at this stage. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So that that there was that stuff, and then obviously when the whole COVID stuff started kicking off, it, it was nuts because <clears throat> I, Australia are pretty they're pretty strict, man. And in, in when it comes to rules, they're a country that they're stickler for the rules, man. So I knew that they they weren't going to kind of go messing around and. I could, I could kind of see that they were going to shut their borders. Then I was actually following it at home and I felt like at home it was a lot worse than what it was over there. I felt over there we were kind of like maybe a month behind what, what was kicking off here. 
So every day I was kind of rocking up the training and I don't think the guys kind of really knew what was coming. But obviously following the news at home, I, I was a bit worried every time going to train. I was like, man, I, I can see us getting kind of locked in here or whatever. And then it just got to the stage where I said to Michelle and Sean, I said, I said to Nick, I was like, man, I, th- I think we need to get out of here because I, I can see us going into lockdown. And obviously, you know, it wouldn't have been a bad place to be locked in, but obviously you'd be paying whatever. You'd be paying the rent to live in an Airbnb and probably not being able to leave within 2K. So I was like, listen, that's, I reckon it's best we just get out of here. And obviously the health, you didn't know what would happen if you got sick. No one really knew what was going to, going to happen. Yeah. So we just came home and we just went into the lockdown here and yeah, that, that just went from there. But as I said, yeah, the, the, the lockdown for me was great because it just meant, man, I was just able to get back to, to train. It gave me a bit more time. wasn't really stressing about the Olympics. And yeah, it, to be honest, it was a blessing in disguise for me, Liam, to be honest with you. Yeah. What are some of your takeaways? Is the main thing that you could just not be worried about competitions and just train? Yeah, well, listen, I, 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 lo- I personally, I loved lockdown. <laughs> like for me, I, I, I had my own, like, you know, running it at, at the best of times when you go on training camp, you're kind of, you are self-isolated and you're kind of used to that. Like the main thing I couldn't do was go down to town and meet my mates for coffee. But my whole schedule was pretty much the same. Like I get up, I train and then I just, I, I like, I like my own company. <laughs> I'm a bit of a, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm very good at doing nothing. Or doing stuff that's just kind of like, you know, you, you don't really feel like you're actually doing anything. Like, I just, to be honest with you, I just ran in the morning, got, got a, uh, I got a treadmill, trained in the morning and played the PlayStation all day. And then I trained again and then I'd rest and I was recovering a lot better. And yeah, it was pretty much what I was doing when I was 20, 21, when I was in college. Like, I just, I was just, yeah, it was just kind of like the, the professional lifestyle kind of suit or professional athlete kind of lifestyle suits me. I know a lot of people struggle with the not being able to do stuff, you know, and even when we go away on training camps, I can see some guys are itching to do to do stuff like, you know, go out and see things and stuff like that. But for me, yeah, I don't mind just sitting, doing nothing, just watching, watching movies, reading, uh, listening to music, just just playing PlayStation. That's that's literally all I did, you know, and then obviously after a while it takes it takes its toll and you want to get out. But for that kind of like for that um I don't know whatever it was. How long was lockdown? I don't know. Oh god. Six weeks? April, May, yeah, six, whatever it was. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. And I think I suppose distance runners are just it wasn't that much different. Everyone's everyone's mm. got their heads were exploding like what to do and I was like this is grand. I could <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I could live like that. Even even in quarantine now, oh, okay, uh, you know, it's a bit different because I, I want to go see my friends and, and stuff like that. And, and probably, you know, when you're on your off season, you want to go out and enjoy yourself a little bit more. But again, yeah, it's it's not a, it's not something I really kind of stress about. So I th- I think for that for that for that sort of reason, you know, lockdown was was brilliant for me. It just allowed me to kind of get back and realize how how important actually recovering was. Because I think once you kind of get away and you start like that's what I'm saying, like. Ju- the six the six months previous when I had that kind of bad plantar injury, I was kind of going out a lot and, and stuff like that. And you just kind of like probably lose lose sight of you kind of lose, yeah, the the routine pretty much of of what it was actually like to be properly you know one hundred percent invested. And I think that was kind of that kind of hit home. And especially with the Olympics getting cancelled, I was like, okay, this is this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You need to respect kind of the the opportunity that you're given and. That's pretty much what all I was doing, you know. So from now on, are you just going to be gearing up for Olympics next summer? Yeah, yeah. Like, listen, it's easy to say when, when things, like, in fairness, like, things went well for me during lockdown. You know, if, if I had been injured, it probably would have been an absolute disaster, you know. So, so, so that's how things it was easy for me. But, yeah, it'll just be gearing up for, 
for the Olympics. Like, it doesn't be long coming around. Like, people, like, it only, like, you know, January when I wasn't running, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Like, that's why also with the Olympics, like, it's only around the corner, really. Um, so, once, once you, uh, once I come back from this little break that I'm going to have, all of a sudden you're probably eight weeks before Christmas, maybe run across season or whatever. But then all of a sudden you're into indoors and before you know it, it's the start of outdoors where you're trying to hit time. So it doesn't, it does not be long coming around, you know? So I think at the moment I'll just be, yeah, just kind of fully, fully invested in that, you know? Cool. So I want to go back to your early, um, earlier days and going to Melbourne first time around. Yeah. So why did you go to Melbourne? How did it change your outlook on training and what makes a good group culture? So three, three parter. Um, so why I decided to go to, to Melbourne was I, um, I was lucky enough that like before, so, so my brother would have ran. So, he, uh, his name's Joseph, obviously. And my dad was, was always, he was kind of like, he only took up running when he was a, a master's athlete, you know, but, uh, he ended up being a pretty good kind of master's athlete athlete. He won a, a European, I think over forties, it was 1500 meters. And then obviously I think he, I think he was one spot out, out, out of making the national 1500 meter final when he was 40 something. Uh, so obviously he was late to the sport, but he, he loved it. And then he got really kind of, he got invested in, in kind of coaching and stuff like that. So from early days, like four or five, I was always going up to the track while, while he was coaching the, the local athletes here. So my brother was obviously a, 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 at a pretty high standard when he was, 16 17 so he obviously would have came into contact came became friends with with david campbell and uh david campbell kind of paved the way for me to especially kind of like obviously he actually put me in touch with with robert den mead when i was 17 18 and uh, he advised me to kind of be coached by rob and then from there dave went down to uh to australia and then i kind of got to an age where i i i i, I when i finished my leaving search i took a year out of of college i took a gap year because i just wanted to see uh, i just wanted to go train the world the world juniors were on that year so i was i was like no nah, i'm gonna go train for the world unit juniors and i went to train at altitude up in font remote and obviously you know i was i was at a pretty good level when i was 17 18 but to make that transition up to being a senior is it's pretty hard and i hadn't really been around like I'd never trained with Dave or I was always kind of training on my own a lot. And then I, I, I kind of, when I went to the world juniors at that time, a guy in my heat was called Brett Robinson and I became friends with Brett and he, uh, he actually finished one place ahead of me in the heat. He was, he was third, I was fourth. And then in the 1500 meter final, he was, he was eighth and I was ninth. So we became good mates and he was obviously friends with Ryan Gregson who at that time, uh, when I was actually at the World Juniors, Ryan was Ryan was twenty, and I was nineteen, obviously. But he he just ran three thirty one for fifteen hundred meters, and I was thinking, oh my god, like like Gregson was the guy like that when I was growing up, he was he was the man, and like I was only like sixteen, seventeen, and when he was seventeen, eighteen, like he was running like he was he was proper able to compete with the seniors, like he was running three thirty seven and three thirty five, you know, and you you would see, I would just I would just follow those guys on social media social media at the time was just youtube you're just looking up their races finding interviews with them and yeah i was like man i probably i need to just i feel like i just need to get down to australia so i said it to dave and actually after world juniors that's when i started getting help by nick so he kind of got me a race in in uh finland to run the uh to try run the national junior record for a mile which which i did and uh 
ever since then we were in contact and I asked him could I come down to Australia and yeah he just he said yeah just just come down with Dave and when I went down there it was great man like at that time in the group there was obviously the older guys in the group like like Collis Birmingham and Ben St. Lawrence and a guy called Yusuf Abdi all like multiple time Olympians I'm pretty sure yeah Benny Benny went to one but I think Collis went to two and Yusuf Abdi's been to a load so you know, and then there was all the younger guys as well. So there was Ryan, there was Brett, there was Kevin Bat, Jordy Williams, uh, all these guys that were my age as well, trying to make it. And we were all just kind of living and training together. And yeah, it was great. Like they just just hit it off straight away. It was, you know, became really good friends with them, and just went from there. Really, you know, just kind of. That, and then at that stage, I kind of was like, right, this is what I want to do. I just want to just follow these guys around as as much as I can. And you know, when I went down there, like I was just opened my eyes to how hard you can actually train, and you know what you actually need to do to train, to recover and stuff like that. And I think I was kind of stuck on. I ran three forty three when I was a junior, and then the next year when I was like tech, obviously out of junior ranks, I, I ran three forty two, and then when I went down there straight away, I felt like I had a breakthrough. I ran three forty, and then kind of came back that year and ran a uh, three thirty seven in Europe. So for me, yeah, I was like, yeah, that, that this this works for me. This environment works for me, and yeah, I loved it. So the other the other thing was what makes a good culture in a group. A good culture, I think. Yeah, you just you you, you pretty much have to you have to probably find you, you know you can never be questioning the training that you're doing. Really, I don't think you know if you're questioning the training, you're never really going. It's just a stress that you don't really need to have, you know. And like for me, there was obviously there was no question because. Nick's kind of training was very similar to what Rob was doing at the time. Um, obviously, there was there was differences, but you know, anything that I I I just had no real kind of like I didn't really think about it because I was like, right, Gregson's around three thirty one doing this, like you know, and like my 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 reasoning for going down was like you know, similar cultures. Me and Gregson were similar builds, like, and he and he and he has done it, you know. So I was like, right, I I. I I'll just do what he does. <laughs> it was that simple for me, really. I was like, this guy's done it. Uh, 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 Collis Birmingham was running um, 335 and he was running like t- uh, sub 13, 15 for, for 5K. So it wasn't as if it was uh, like Nick had had a track record of turning these guys, turning like really good 1500 meter runners. Jeff Rosey was another guy who was down there as well, was running 332, 144. So like, I don't, I, like, that was it. It was easy for me. I was like, yeah, I just need to do what these guys are doing because it obviously works, you know? But everyone, everyone was just bought and in. And the culture the then, yeah, I suppose, everyone is just bought in, but obviously you're, you're living with lads that are like, for me, the, 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 I just was friends with all of them. So, you know, outside of running, everyone was doing the same thing and, uh, you know, obviously, when you're when you're when you're at home here and you, you have your mates, but when your mates are doing everything that you're doing and obviously looking after themselves and recovering, it makes it a lot easier. So it was just it was just great fun as well. So I think that was a great culture, and the lads really kind of we all wanted to see each other do well because we're all kind of like trying to do the same thing. So I don't uh, there was just all that kind of support there and stuff like that. And I just got on real well with with Nick. Um, uh, he was he was great for me and kind of like. The mentality of, of the Australians was one thing that I, I seen a massive difference between kind of here and when I was training at home, you know, like these guys, these guys never really looked at, yeah, I don't know. They just kind of look at performances like that they can do it. Like there's nothing, like nothing is kind of like, oh, so you go down there when a guy's running 331 in the group, you know, it, 
all of a sudden trying to run a standard isn't really like a big deal. You know, everyone expects, like all those guys expect that they are going to run the standard because the standard is so high, you know? So it's kind of, that was a great culture for me because all of a sudden I'm coming home going, yeah, man, I, I, I think everyone used to be fascinated. Early on in my career, I was like, oh, I need to try and make these championships. I need, everything's building up to trying to run the standard where those guys just assume they're going to run the standard because they're so good. You know, and I think once you kind of make up your mind that you're you have a mentality switch of this is where I need to get to. Like as I said, like one one of the big things with those guys as well, they don't they're not they're not concerned about beating one another. You know, there's no real ego ego problems in the group, but there can't be because there's so many good guys. You and running so, such a hard sport that you're going to be bet by these guys in Ireland. I feel like can you hear that washing machine now in the background? That's not affecting this, is it? I, I can slightly hear, it, but it's not a problem. Like. Well, let me let me close this door. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what I was saying was like in Ireland, I felt like you were always kind of like worried about what the other Irish guy was doing, you know, and and that can I feel like that can really hamper performance, you know. Um, so that was one thing that early on in my career that I was kind of like when when I went over there, I went all right. Well, the big goal is actually getting to the to the world stage and actually getting to to these big competitions and competing against the best guys, not just pigeonholing yourself into trying to be just just the best guy in Ireland, you know? Yeah, I find especially around the Eurocross, when you watch the interviews, not that I can say much now, but mm. <laughs> it, just seem, it just seems everyone is just like, I'm just happy to be here. It's yeah. kind of like, and I, maybe that's the difference you're talking about. Yeah, and I think I, th- I think a lot of times as well, like with the, with the European Cross, I don't know whether you've noticed this either, but g- generally, generally the person who wins the, na- the national cross doesn't run the best at the Europeans, Joe. You because know? yeah. and I think a, a big reason for that is that like they've they've made it such a big um, and it's the same. Listen, I, I've done that same as well when I when like I think as well when you're trying trying to make a, a championship, you sacrifice actually the end goal, and I think like. You know, there is like you do need to peak, and I think a lot of and periodization, and I think a lot of these people they get they get really they're like they're they're get they're so transfixed on that 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 trial race and making the team or winning the team, and then they 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 lack a bit of, you know, it's not the same building into a into a European because all of a sudden they're coming from that big low of the big run, and it is it's hard once you have a big run the next run is always is always the hardest one to get back up for it you know and then all of a sudden your your training is is periodized for that specific national cross country and you forget about the actual race the one that matters you know yeah it's a good point so we'll get into your injuries you've had plenty of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you were injured like in the in the lowest points say you to go up for a cross a cross training for an hour did you ever just think fuck this let's like, just pack this in oh yeah it's <laughs> not all the time i think i think like you know i'm probably I've probably become immune to the disappointments of actually getting injured. <laughs> to be honest with you, like at the start, you're absolutely good, you know. But uh, yeah, it just became part and parcel that you know my cross training just became uh, normal training, you know. And as like I said, I said I said to Paul Denny before, like one thing I kind of took early on was that was that was that quote from Steve Peters where he's saying I don't really care about motivation levels. Uh, I just care about about commitment. So for me, yeah, there was real real low times where you're just like, oh man, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. Cross train, you can actually cross train a lot harder than you can actually train, and that be, can become kind of mentally fatiguing. So I would always kind of give myself 
extra kind of like lenience on like a day off. So I would cross train maybe two days really hard and then I would have one day off, you know, because you can't cross train and it's not like running. You can't, you can't, um, you can't treat it the same because you can actually put yourself in an absolute bin because you don't have the impact. So you don't have your body telling you when you're absolutely, when you're wrecked, you know? So like you could go on a cross trainer, like I could go on a cross trainer and, and do two hours and I could back it up and do two hours again that evening, you know, or swimming, switch it all up. And then all of a sudden you get four days in and you can't get out of bed and it's a different fatigue. You're like, what is this? So, uh, yeah, I just, I just, uh, yeah, there's there's different ways of of, of kind of like dealing with it, and I kind of over the years I've, I've kind of figured out kind of like. And but, but to be honest, man, I absolutely I, cross train. I do it, but I think it absolutely does nothing, really. Like I've never come back from cross train super fit, man. Anyway, so I've always had to go through. So to be honest with you, I'm one of these guys now where I'm I'm not really sure. Like cross training, it keeps you probably the weight down and stuff like that. But like you cannot run a good fifteen hundred off cross training, man. I can't anyway. You know. So probably everyone's had niggles and injuries and it's, it's, it's hard. Like, so what, how would you, what, what, what would be advice you'd give to mentally cope with, with injuries? Yeah, I think obviously if you were, if you, if you're fully an elite athlete, it can be, it can be a lot more dangerous because like once, once you, once you, if, if running's all you're doing, as soon as you have to stop and, and, and cross train. And um, I, I think if you can cross train, it gives you something, it gives you a structure and all, and all that sort of stuff. But if you actually have to stop where, you know, I've had to, for a, a, a lot of my injuries and just do nothing, that's, that's the most dangerous part because all of a sudden you literally are doing nothing, you know? So, you know, I think, as I said, like during lockdown, it's easy for me because I had my routine and I had my purpose for the day. But if that all goes and all of a sudden you're getting up and you're doing nothing, that, that, that's when it can become really dangerous, you know? So uh, for me, having something outside of, of running is it's hugely important like doing a course being in college uh, anything that's productive really you know getting a little part-time job they're the, they're the sort of things that you need to have set in place like a, a contingency plan for when things go go airspace really um so but in terms of dealing with it with a niggle the, the, what i would say to people at the moment is like don't you you got to be very aware of what you're pushing through for you know um Obviously, there becomes times like for me, I know my body is never going to be 100%. I'm always dealing with little injuries, but it's trying to, uh, it's trying to weigh up when you actually need to push. Um, like, for example, just this season, um, I, I, I ran the Nationals and then I, I went to Marseille and I, and I ran. But pretty much since Marseille, uh, I haven't really done any training just because with the travel and stuff like that. And then I, I, I ended up getting a few little niggles. So it was all right for Zagreb when I ran 3.38 again because I was probably, I had, I had done a good bit of training and I was a little bit fresh. But then after Zagreb, I had a few little niggles that I missed a couple of sessions that I couldn't actually get. I, like I didn't really have the proper preparation for that 3K and I kind of got found out because I hadn't got the work done, you know. Um, so for me, it's like, oh, do I, do I keep pushing on here or do I just take a break? And it's like, there's absolutely nothing now like everything was gained, like there's nothing to push on for. So why would you risk? You, you cannot risk anything at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Because there's nothing to risk it for. So I just shut up shop, took my, taken my rest and then I'll get back trained again and I'll, and I'll be fine. But like, let's say the Olympics was around the corner. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be smart about it and you gotta come up with a plan where you can, where you can risk it. Um, because it's obviously the Olympics, but you need to be very specific of, of where you get your niggles in the season and what you're actually risking it for and, and how you're dealing with that. And obviously, you know, if it's really, if it's bad, 
if it's a bad injury, you, you just got to accept it. And as, as tough as it is, as I said earlier, like if I just had accepted that I probably wasn't going to go to the Olympics in 2016, um, I might have had a better Europeans or Worlds in 2017, 18, 19, you know, I wouldn't miss probably the, the back end of the year. So it's just, it's, 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 it's a tough, listen, man, it's a very tough, injuries are very tough and there's no, there's a wrong way of dealing with it, but there's no set in stone right way to deal with it, you know? So you just have to be pretty smart and get, get some good guys in your corner um, and, and, and just make probably informed decisions on, on what you're actually trying to do, you know? Do you do much work to, in, or preventative measures or prehab yeah. or something like that. Yeah, well, it's funny because I I I, I would have always um when I especially when I got my first injuries, like I just rehabbed so much and I I would rehab all the time, really. But I think I don't know, man. I I, I think you can get to a stage where you can be so transfixed on on rehab and that you become so in tune with your body that and this definitely happened to me. Then then every every little thing is like a big deal, you know. So like obviously when I had those that problem with my toe were kind of messed up my biomechanics a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're trying to strengthen your glutes and all this preactive work and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't do any of that, man, when I was, when I was younger, you know? And, and I know that probably the re- uh, people might say, Oh yeah, but that's the reason you got injured. You weren't doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you can become so like, I see people do all this glute stuff, all this sort of stuff. But like when I, in the last kind of year or so, I just kind of just took a different approach of, I just relaxed really, you know, about it. I didn't really, I tried to zoom out, zoom out from the, the, being so in tune with your body because you can wreck your head, man. You can always find something. I can always find something wrong <laughs> with my body. Yeah. You know, my Achilles might creep a bit or my, my hamstring might be a little sore and it gets to a stage where it's like, ah, oh, man, just, just throw that stuff. Just throw Like if I can get out and jog in the morning, I feel, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I've been, I've been, I've been in every kind of little scenario where, you know, you, it comes a stage where you need to just go, listen, man, I just need to run now. You know, I just need to forget about that sort of stuff. Because a lot of the times with, with tendon injuries, especially, man, like you can rest a tendon. I, I've rested tendons for weeks on end and I come back and it's just as bad as it was beforehand. You know? mm. um, and then all of a sudden you, you just, you know, you know your body. I think for me now, I get in tune and I know my body. I know if something's really bad. I know when I need to stop and I know stuff that I can run with. But for me, I just keep it very simple at the moment. I've, I've kind of like found a routine where I just do a few glute activations before I go. I always kind of do a good bit of stretching and I just leave it at that. I don't really think too much of it. I'll, I'll do my calf raises in the morning just to get my Achilles going. And I just leave it at that. I don't kind of tune into this new, this, this new kind of saving bullet of this something that's going to work. You know, yeah. that's kind of where I go with it. Okay, this is called More Than Runner. Is that um, a concept you taught much about when you're injured <laughs> did you have an did you have an identity crisis yeah did i have an identity crisis i presume yeah in a way i probably did like i i, I suppose if you, if it, when i finished college i didn't go do a master's straight away you know um i just i just ran and then um probably in the last kind of like in 2017 i probably said to myself right now i need to start kind of looking looking at the future and what you're going to do after running so i'm, I'm doing a master's at the moment uh so it's kind of it's part-time master's so that was kind of great and then obviously i went and started working kind of last year um doing some part-time work as, as substitute teaching so i think that sort of stuff was great for me because yeah when you're not running and all of a sudden you can't run. Like for me, it was difficult because like my town is so supportive of me. Like it's only, it's listen, it's a, it's a small little town and 
everyone knows I run, so I've been running. I've been known as the runner probably since I've been, you know, five or six. Like, you know, uh, so obviously when you're not running and you haven't probably produced results for a while, uh, you know, you kind of like, and people are people are only like people are only interested like, and they'd be like, oh, "How's the running going?" And when you don't have something positive to say, it's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, my last good result was 2014, three or four years ago." You know, you can become a little bit disheartened. So uh, I think you know, for a time there, yeah, definitely, you, you, you do have a little bit of an identity crisis. But I always kind of try to, uh, yeah, I try to have extra little things going, like little things going on in my in in my life, which. You know, I've, I have a lot of hobbies outside of running, really, you know, so it's, it's great. I listened to your interview with Carl Denny. Yeah. Thanks to Carl Denny for spoiling the week. <laughs> I know, I actually <laughs> thought, of that. I thought of that when it came out. I was like, oh, that's funny, man. There's going to be two podcasts in a week. You're going to be sick of listening to me, you know. But um, I know you said when you were going out to George Hartman that you'd kind of accepted that if he tells me I'm done, I'm done. That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Did, was that hard for you to accept? And when... Once you had accepted that, do you enjoy it more now because you had, you're kind of playing with house money now, if that makes sense? Yeah, you're playing with house money, but but like, listen, it's not just listen. Don't don't get me wrong. Like, uh, yeah, I've accepted. I, uh, at that moment in time, I had accepted being told I was done because you know I had so many injuries and I was six months down. But like, I wouldn't be able to accept it now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I'm so okay, close yeah. again. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we're uh, athletes are. We're greedy, man. We 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 thrive on success. It's a, it's an addiction, really. You know, like you, there's always a next goal, and like there's always like you run a PB, and you think you can always do more. You know, so I think it's very listen. It's 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 skill, and it's something it's something I've had to really kind of work on, just living in the now and accepting where you're where you're. Like, listen, for me, this year was absolutely great. I ran. 338 won the nationals but like still when i ran 338 the second one in zagreb i thought i could have ran 336 because i went through in 154 it's not the way you should it's not like i i i was i had i had kind of got to the stage where i was just like every race i'm going into now man i'm swinging to try run a pb i don't really care about running 338 again or 337 i'm i'm back now and i kind of made a i made a kind of like pact to myself that when i get back man you can't let every opportunity go you know so you have to go in swinging so i just went i'm going into every race now like even with that 3k like i was on 745 pace at, at halfway like that's what i wanted to run 745 because me and sean we knew i was like top 10 all-time list i was like yeah that's what i want that's what that's what we were trying to do you know and fair play to sean he was absolutely brilliant but it didn't work out for me but um yeah i'm just taking every opportunity and as i'm saying we, we kind of get greedy you know so it's something i still yeah i've accepted that i uh I had accepted, but like at the moment, this moment of time now, I'd be absolutely devastated again. So it's a, it, man, it comes around in circles, you know. It's it's a, it's an addiction, man. It's I don't know how to I don't I can't really describe it any any way else, you know. Yeah, but do you, do you find you enjoy it more now, or you're more in the moment because? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I I I got to a stage where I think when I had been getting into Diamond Leagues around 2014, like I was going to, I was in Rome Diamond League. I was in I was in the Dream Mile Dream Mile Diamond League. I was after coming really good run at Fifth Avenue Mile. So I was getting into all these big races, you know? So if you had said to me, like at that time then, like the little races became a little bit of a chore, really. Like I couldn't get up for a BMC or, or really a Nationals. Like they, they, you kind of like get addicted to the, to the big time races. Whereas now then for me, like, there was a stage when I couldn't run then, like I just, I just was, I just loved going to train and 
and being able to do my sessions again, being able to do my threshold, my heels, my, my, my track sessions, that, that became a serious buzz for me. And yeah, I definitely do enjoy it a lot more than I did because it probably just becomes kind of work, you know? Whereas for me at the moment, like when we came out of lockdown and was going to the track again with, with Fail and Pace and me and, you know, Joe Warren coming doing the track sessions with me. It was only, it was kind of like, went back to kind of like basics and my brother and my dad were, were coming to train. I, I was buzzing, like that's what I was kind of living for. And then obviously like nationals this year was probably the most like I've enjoyed any nationals and regardless of the results just being back uh in in the mix again was absolutely brilliant and then obviously getting into these races again where you're kind of going you're going to these big races where like the last two 15s i've been in were one in 334 and 332 you know so there's quality runners again there and just the nerves of being in the call room again and, and being on the start line and people just having a real interest again is, is great you know um, so I'm absolutely buzzing at the moment of, of, of where I'm at, you know. That's what I'm saying. Like, if someone told me I couldn't do this anymore again, I'd be absolutely good. So, you know, I'll, I'll address that. I'll address when I stop, when I when I stop, you know. So I'm not really thinking about that too much. Okay, so I'm going to get your perspective on some topics in athletics. What changes yeah. would you like to see in athletics, both domestically and globally? Um, globally... Globally, I think we need to go back to a state, a state where we have, we have more kind of racing, you know, not, not, not time trials. Listen, the Diamond, League's, the Diamond League has its positives and its negatives, but like, for me, I, I want to see a race. Like, you know, unless some guy is going out and doing something ridiculous, like, you know, what, what Stewie McSwain did in, in that race in, um, in Zagreb when he ran 3.32, like from a 1,500-meter perspective, like, yeah, I thought that was the coolest thing in, in the world. Like, what he, his actual performance was amazing. But I think the general public, they can't really connect with that because he was just a guy who went, went out and just absolutely obliterated the whole field. Like, they, they don't really take much from that. You know what I mean? But the general fan takes much more from a race. So when I saw Stewie and, and Ingebrigtsen race in uh, Ostrava over 1,500 metres, the, the pacemaking was absolutely shocking. And it only became a 3.33 race, I think, which for those guys, you know, it's five seconds off. Or, well, for Jakob Ingebrigtsen's five seconds off what he's able to run. But it was an actual race. And I was much more enthralled in that. Like, and, and like the 3K in Rome, yeah, I know they ran 7.28 and it was absolutely amazing. But the race was brilliant. You know, there's three guys at the bell with, with a lap to go, you know, yeah, they were running amazingly well, but you didn't know who was going to win. So we're on the edge of our seats and the general public doesn't know really what sub 730 means. So it's like, if we want to get people invested in our sport, at the end of the day, people just love a race. Like, and I think that was the thing with me and Sean's race at nationals. Yeah. Like we only ran 343 over 1500 meters. Now, like it's still respectable. It's still sub four minute mile pace or in and around. But like the general public thought that was absolutely unreal. Like my mates, were ringing me up people who don't really care about running just were completely invested in that so then it has you thinking well we're obviously not portraying the best part of our sports like we're going out and just having these timed races the general public don't really care but they care about a race you know and they care about seeing guys coming up the home straight together and that only becomes that only becomes uh, possible when there are no real pacemakers so i think but but i'm not saying get rid of pacemakers altogether but i think we need to have more championship races more uh global champ and they don't really they don't have to just be a world champs or europeans you know we can market it another way you can have you can have you know you can have difference like in 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 the tennis and the golf like they've four majors a year so why can't we do something like that where we have 
four big races, maybe one in every, you know, pick four continents and just have a, have a major in every continent. And then something like that, you know, and I think that's the kind of way to go and get rid of all these same coloured singlets. Like that absolutely does, my, that does my nut in. Like, it's like, how do we have a scenario where we, yeah, we can't, we can't distinguish between who's who really, or, you know, and there's little things that we can do and it wouldn't cost much to do it. Like, like, yeah, all right, Nike can have, the same singlet, but like, why not have a different color? So, like, Stewie McSwain has an Australian color, Jakob has a Norwegian color, and then, like, you know, something like that, you know, or like, or, or every, every, every country has their, has their colors, and then the brands work around the colors. So, you can still have an Adidas singlet that just has the Irish colors, and a Nike singlet that has the Irish colors. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you go on, oh, that, that guy is from that country or whatever, or have something like, Instead of like, there's nothing on the back of a singlet. Like, why do we need the number on the back? Like, get rid of that number and put, actually put like maybe their world rankings or something on the back. You know, have a have a ranking of who's ranked number one in the race. Like, so on on, on world rankings, like in the fifteen hundred, Jakob has number one or whatever. Chariot has number one. Jakob has number two. That sort of stuff. You know, and you yeah. carry it around, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's another thing to follow. You know, but um, yeah, there's definitely things that we can that we can do better on the. Uh, on a globe, bringing our sport to the general public because that's where it needs to go. Once you once you get once you get the general public on on board, then you start getting the the financial rewards, you know, and then people start being rewarded how they should be rewarded, and 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 performance will be a bit better and all that sort of stuff. Like you know, like Stewie McSwain, man, like I've been living with the guy for the last month. He's just ran seven twenty eight for three k. You know, he's still worrying how he's going to get home to Australia. <laughs> you know, like that's. That's really where it's at. In Australia, like you probably wouldn't even have made the back page newspaper, but it's an unbelievable performance, yeah, you know? And it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't get the... Like, that guy is he's an absolute monster. But he's still... He probably, like, on the financial scale of, of, of sports people, he's way down, which is mad. So yeah. you're like, you win, a, you win a Diamond League. You're the best runner in the world. You win the Diamond League, and I think it's 100 grand. Like, really, yeah. you know? I don't know, like a tennis player would earn that, or a golfer, or be nothing to these guys. Whereas for us, it's it's huge. And domestically, what do you think could um could be improved on? Um, yeah, well, like domestically, I think everything's key towards nationals, you know. And it is, it is a, like for me, nationals. It it needs a serious kind of kind of kind of shake up. I think you know. I, I think, event, think I think events in general. Yeah, events in general, like. In fairness to the Morton Games and, and the Cork City Sports and that, the Atlone IT, like, yeah, it's brilliant. We've really kind of improved on, the, on that sort of stage. But events in general in Ireland, yeah, we need to, like, there's only one race really that, that matters on a domestic scale and it's nationals. Do you know what I mean? So you need to build a scenario. How do we make this race even better? Like, I, I, I don't think nationals should have a scenario where, like, man, realistically in the 1500 meters, and I've always said this, like, I can have a scenario where I, 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 line up, I could line up against my dad if I wanted. He can enter the race and we can race over 1500 meters. Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, we had a scenario where the 1500 at, uh, this year had, I can't remember how many heats there was, maybe four or five, but there was only two to go through. Like, you shouldn't have two to go through in a 1500 meters. So, so it kind of takes away from the, like, the heat is a chore. You know what I mean? For, for, for guys at a certain standard, they're going there. And then the guys who could make a final you know, two to go through. So they've absolutely no chance. So it just becomes a damp squib. We're running around like a four minute pace. And, you know, the guys who can run well on the four minute pace, they're always going to be the two to get through. So there's no upsets really. Like there was no real upsets from, 
from the 1500 at nationals for me this year i don't think there yeah. was anyway and that's just be that's just because when you are allowed to enter when anyone is allowed to enter it dilutes it dilutes the actual standard do you know what i mean and then we just left with a damn squib on the saturday so if you could have a scenario where and i don't know how you like you could maybe do this but you look at you look at the last 10 10 seasons and you look at uh, the rankings for the seasons and you average it out and you look at how are we going to make the top uh, 24 people go to nationals so then all of a sudden you have a standard you know and then so let's say the standard is I don't know let's say it's just 355 all of a sudden you're rocking up on a Saturday and you have 24 people who can run under 355 so it's a good standard you know and then we have two heats and we have uh, four fastest or four automatics and four fast losers and then all of a sudden it's a real honor then to start on the, on the start line at your nationals, even in the heat. So people are going, man, I qualified for the 1500 meter final. I'm here. I'm the top 24 best runners in Ireland. This is absolutely great. And then to make the final even more so, and then to win it, you're kind of going, yeah, well, well that was but like every other country has standards for national. Now I understand from an neglects Ireland point of view with the, um, you know, it, it financially, they need, they need the entries, you know, and that's fine. But then you think of, of something different, let's set up then. And then you could set up like a domestic, qualification system so all of a sudden right well we're taking the top if we're taking top 24 rankings or, the, or or we have the standard you have to run the standard at one of our events so then you have these provincial qualifying like you, you have like a scenario where your your irish moilers clubs could put on races in every in every uh, province and then you pay your entry fee for that so everyone still gets to go try qualify you know and the entry fee is still there Something like that, you know, and then that would make that would be a great buzz. Then all of a sudden, everyone's looking at oh, who ran the standard for nationals? All these races mean something. Then so then, like if you're going and watching a Irish Moyers Club and someone, some kid runs three fifty four, you go, oh, he's had to qualify for nationals there, you know. Whereas before, mm-hmm. and who cares about three fifty four? Regardless of that, no one cares. But now all of a sudden, these races actually mean something. And I think a lot of times when you go to these Irish Moyers clubs, you're just looking at them going, oh, like. You're looking at you don't really know who's ran a PB, you know, unless you really follow in depth, they just become very personalized and not really good for the fan, you know. What I mean, whereas like the fan of athletics now would be tuned in, and then all of a sudden you become really tuned into athletics, you know, for every event, what's the standard? Like, oh, so and then you're looking at the results going, oh, this guy just ran it for the 800, this guy just ran it for the for the 400, and then we become it becomes something, you know. But, um, at, even at the Marsh Minor meets, I think you can just create an electric atmosphere, it's not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah, well, like uh, from 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 the actual events point of view, yeah, man. They need listen. There's nothing worse than going to a race and there be no music or be no buzz about the place, and you know the commentators boring or something like that. You know, you need you need like seriously, like that's what you need. Like you want to be going there and you want to be. I know everyone says, "Oh, let them let let guys drink beer and all that sort of stuff." Yeah, well, like listen, like that'd be great crack as well. But let's just make sure the actual event itself is good. Like let's have some music going. Let's let's have some proper good commentary and let's have a little bit of a buzz around the place you know because it can be done like i've been at things in uh, at races before in ireland where there has been great buzzes and it's just because they've got it right on the day you know well, that gets the general public involved then as well so there's a good answer yeah, there. I, I, I ran a i ran a race in in galway man in 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 2013 and there was something like three thousand people at it and the place was hopping and there was music going and it was absolutely brilliant just because they the and, and and then I think uh, and that was that was Richard Donovan who did that and then and then Dermot McDermott did one in um, in Ballymote like you know just a little town and he just put on a mile and people came out and and because it was 
properly organised, it was done properly, and like there has been there has been uh, Morton Games and and uh, at Lone Internationals that have been really good. Like the, own, the at Lone International, you go down there and the place is hopping. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because you get some good athletes there, you get the fans in, and you get the place buzzing. Do you know, so I can't see a scenario where we can't have you know. But again, man, it comes down to money, really, doesn't it? So if the money's not there, how do you do it? Like, yeah. From from all the races you've done globally, what's the best meet you've been to and why? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I suppose um, running the Dream Mile was absolutely brilliant, just because of the the, the historical significance of it. Um, that that place is has a lot of history. It's a really good meet. There's a really good kind of track fan base there. Um, so anyone that anyone that properly wants to go watch a a, a good meet like the Diamond League in, in, in Oslo is always is always good. That's that's great. So I think for me that was probably the probably yeah, the Pen Relays man was also absolutely awesome. Like when the first time when I ran Pen Relays there was something like fifty thousand people there in the stadium. And it was class man. You know, it was unreal. And you know, obviously we were running for a team event as well. So it was something different and was was there with English or Leonard and, and Gregan and, and we, we ran really well. So that was that was class. Um that was something kind of like I'd never really experienced before, and uh, that was really good buzz. But uh, probably, yeah, it's probably a toss up between running the the pen relays and um, and the Oslo Dream Mile. Very good. So, how do we get Irish lads back to world class level? Like a big, a good crop of good crop of athletes. Uh, yeah, man. I, 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 I don't know. It's it's probably. I think you need to be. You definitely need to have more lads. Probably kind of like like training together. You know, like it's no listen. It's no coincidence at the moment that the fifteen hundred is. I can only really, I can only ever really speak about fifteen hundred meters, man, because it's all I really, it's all I really know. Like, do you know I mean middle distance events? How you, how you get it better? Like, but like when you, when you go to Australia and you have, you have five or six lads who can all run under under three thirty five. You know, like the standard gets gets higher because you, you're instinctively you're you're competitive. You know, so for like so for I think for in Ireland this year, you know. You know, Andrew had an unbelievable um, indoor season where he ran 3.37. And, like, without probably knowing, like, that that raises the standard. All of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking, man, I, I need to get my skates on here because Coscrone ain't messing around. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then Tobin's also the same, you know? And Faye, then you have another guy who can run 3.41. Now, listen, we're all in the same training group. And we're all mates and we all get really on. But you, you want to beat one another. So that raises the standard. Then I've no doubt there's, there's other guys, there's like Luke McCann and all these other guys and Travers. They're all, everyone, everyone knows that when the standard is, is risen, that's, that's, how, that's how we get ourselves back there. We, we start kind of running against each other again, training with each other. The standard, the standard gets better. Like in 2014, man, going into... Like I, I had ran three thirty six that year, and a Leonard had ran three thirty seven, um, Everett had ran three thirty nine, Dave McCarthy had ran three thirty nine, and Travis had ran three thirty seven. You know, so the standard was that good because there was five or six lads there who wanted to go to the Europeans, and to go there, that was the shape you had to be in. So at nationals, man, all of a sudden we had we had five guys under three forty at nationals because that's where the standard is at, and I think kind of. What we'd seen, kind of like, unfortunately, I had got injured and a Leonard had got injured, and then um, standard kind of drops a little bit. Then, do you know, and once the standard drops and there's not as many guys around, 
that uh, the overall standard drops then like you know and then all of a sudden it just people can rest on their laurels like all of a sudden then going to nationals you might you mightn't even have to break to win it you might only have to run like 343 or 342 and then it just stagnates you know so mm. it's getting the it's getting the numbers in and it's getting people then to like so obviously now for next year 340 it's not going to be good enough because because there's, there's there's going to be loads of guys who are going to be trying to run 335. So all of a sudden, then I, I reckon next year you could have a load of guys break 340. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. And there's a lot of young guys coming through, which is, which is great, true. You know, so that's, that's what you want. But okay. again, how, how do we do it? I think, I think, I think we just train. I think we, you have to be open to what you're doing and you have to be training to, to, you have to be trained with one another because when you're trained with one another, the standards don't drop. You know what I mean? So at the moment, like me, Brian, Sean, and, and Koshkin, like we don't train together all the time and, and, and me more so because I'm, I'm coached by Nick and the boys are coached by Phelan, but we link in enough to, to have that healthy competition, you know, and that keeps everyone in line and it means that if some guy's slipping, yeah, well, you're just going to take advantage of that, really. And, and then obviously it doesn't be long coming around going, yeah, man, I, I'm take, I, I can't take my eye off the ball here because, you know, at the moment I'm running 338, but I know soon enough Costin's going to be back in that shape and, and Sean looks like he could smash 340 at the moment and you have Faye who ran 341 indoor so you can't rest on your laurels man because there's going to be someone there picking up the pieces so the final running question is then your views on Strava <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't like it man uh, I'm on it and every now and then I get up but for me personally like I don't want to know man like what I'm running I don't really care what other people are, are running like I have don't get me wrong I have got into the I have fallen into the Strava trap like so when I went to Australia, like I was in great shape before that cross cross country season. Like I, I was doing sessions where, you know, and like listen, training doesn't tell you everything about about how you're going. But like I was definitely in in a lot better shape than what I ran when I was when I, when I ran that national cross. Like I, we were were doing sessions in our Gillen where it's like grueling two lap two. It's a two lap. It's two um, laps of of our Gillen, so it's about thirty minutes of running. And like I was, I was in a lot better shape than when, than when I ran. And then all of a sudden I come out and, you know, Sean and, and, and Brian absolutely handed me my arse where they weren't in train. But that was, I put it that down to when I went to Australia, I, I got Strava, man. And then all of a sudden I just became fucking consumed by trying to run these hundred mile weeks that don't mean anything. Or like, you know, or you can't even look at your watch and you, and you can't even look at your watch and go, right, you know, it's only natural because we're so competitive that you're looking at your watch and running like, 630s it has to be every race has to be 630 mile you can't just go out and run your 730s or your 740s when you're when you're garbage and what i've realized is that man you can run 630s when you're feeling whatever way you're feeling you can run 630s you know so someday it stops you actually taking those recovery runs as recovery runs whereas now man like i don't even bother wearing a watch half time i know my marks on my runs that i just flop around i just run i don't know and it's great because when you're feeling good, you can, or even if you're feeling bad, you can trick yourself mentally into that you're running six thirties when you're probably running eight thirties, you know. So uh, it makes it much more enjoyable when when I when I don't have that Strava shite on, you know. I just think it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just a facade. People become addicted to and want to see yeah. what other people are doing, but they don't mean it doesn't mean anything, man. Yeah, I found that as well, and then. When you have it, you kind of think you tell yourself, "Oh, I don't care," but it subconsciously you do, and then you do yeah. end up like running, looking at the watch, and thinking <laughs> like, "I need to be under seven minutes all the time." 
Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous when you think about it. Like, it's absolutely, it's so, it's so counterproductive. But it is cool. Like, it's great. Like, the actual, the, the concept is great. Like, it's great to be able to see what other guys are doing and kind of get a, a feel for how other guys are, are trained and stuff like that. But again, man, it means absolutely nothing. Like, like, and I said, and you can't take a whole lot from it because from an actual performance point of view, you might see a guy do eight by a K and he's averaging 250s, but you're not looking at it. So you don't know if he's absolutely on his ear. <laughs> you know, some guy could be doing an absolutely <laughs> jogging and you know he's in great shape where some guy could be busting it out and running, eight, and running 250s. And, you know, so you don't, you don't really know what you're getting really, you know. Right. You're a fellow Fontaine's DC OG fan. I am, man. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge Fontaine's DC fan, man. Huge. When did you get into them? Uh, yeah, so I probably I kind of I guess you were going to ask me this. So then I, I was like, man, how did I how did I get into Fontaine's DC? And I, I kind of had a fair idea, but it was literally I went I had to go back and look look through my WhatsApp messages just to nail down how exactly this came about. So yeah, listen, man, as 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 I don't know if you if you know, but like I'm mean, I'm a huge kind of music fan. You know, I love music, all types of music. We have a broad range of, of what I listen to, but um. Thankfully, from like thankfully, I kind of was kind of brought up with probably and uh, probably not your kind of like normal uh, childhood. What what you're listening to? Like my brother was he, my brother somehow had a he had a great taste in music, so I always had access to this unbelievable music. Um, I'll get into that in a minute. But how I got into Fontaine C was my brother showed me an artist called Whipping Boy. I don't know whether you've ever heard of these. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> You'll absolutely love Like, this Whipping Boy has an album called Heartworm, right? And it is one of the best things I've ever listened to. And I couldn't believe I'd never heard this before, right? And, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I went for a massage with, with Vinnie Movie, who is a huge music fan as well. And I told, I told I go, man, you ever heard this band called Whipping Boy? And he was like, man, love Whipping Boy. And I'm going, yeah, man, it's absolutely class. So we were chatting about it for ages and this band, they're not really w- w- widely known. I don't know how. And uh, they're Irish, by the way, right? So he has, he has a real kind of, there's two brothers, uh, I can't remember their names. Um, but anyway, he has a real distinctive uh, Irish accent. Um, and I thought this was deadly. Dublin. And uh, so I said it to Vinny, and Vinny goes, yeah, yeah, you know, man, they're, they're cool. And then a couple of days later, he, uh, he sent me a song called Boys in the Betterland, right? And the minute I heard it, I was like, man, that is epic. Like, that's like, that's kind of like something I, something personally I had been kind of waiting for. And I was hoping the band was of this, this generation, which it was. And I was like, oh, these guys are from Dublin. And it just got me onto that Fontaine's DC gig and uh, or C, Fontaine's DC buzz. And I just kind of, I haven't, haven't really kind of looked look back since. And then kind of, that kind of got me onto this kind of like post-punk Irish kind of scene that I didn't really know was going on. And I would have listened to a lot of kind of like punk rock, post-punk, kind of like Pixies, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, Joy Division, all that, all that sort of genre. But it was kind of like, not my time, if you get me. You know, yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not my, it's not my, uh, like, I can't really associate with, with these guys on that level where I had never seen them play. Like, so, so like the music I was into, you know, would have been guys who are like in their fifties now, you know? So when I went, went and saw Pixies in, in Trinity there, one of the summer balls in 2017, yeah, man, the music's, the music was absolutely epic, but still I can't, it's not, it's not my generation. And I would have always been envious of, you know, kind of my brother who would have went to a lot of gigs when he was 
18, 19, like would have been at all the big gigs that were around then. Um, and then obviously talking to like my uncle and stuff, he would have, he would have grown up with a horse lips generation and he would have went around all Dublin when they were playing all, all of Ireland. He would have went around watching, watching their gigs and it's his age and he's, he's really able to associate and resonate with, with what they're doing. So for me, when I seen that um, the, the Fontaines DC were here, and it was this generation. I was absolutely buzzing. And I actually tried to get in to see them play in the Bunton Factory in, in December in 2018, but it all sold out. And then thankfully, I was able to go see them in Vicar Street there just before Christmas. And it was absolutely epic, man. Um, but what, I, what, I, what my point was, when I started listening to Fontaine's DC, I realized, man, there was loads of these post-punk bands at the moment. I was going to ask you, why do you think the, there's been an Irish punk re- uh, revolution? Or I, think, I think it all... I think it all just comes around and I think everything kind of comes around man like like fashion comes around in circles you know um, and I think like people just got sick of the generic shit that they're listening to you know it kind of got to the stage where yeah listen I, I, I like some of the pop music and some of that but it's not it's not what I'm into you know and I think it becomes played out over the radio a lot and people just are looking for something different and I think you inherently if you like music you can't get away from the basics of of playing an instrument or writing your own lyrics that actually mean something, you know? And I think that always is going to resonate with people over, over just a generic kind of um, electronic kind of, you know, manufactured sound that I think a lot of music has become. And I think, yeah, just like bands like Just Mustard and, and uh, the Murder Capital and Girl Band and all these, all these Irish bands when young, they're all, it's a big Irish scene, man. I don't know what it is. I don't know. They're all kind of, I don't know. I think they're all mates and they're all kind of coming out of that Bolton Street, the, the music. I think it's the music college there, is it? Is it Bolton Street or something? Somewhere in Dublin anyway. They're all yeah. coming out of this music college, man. Yeah. And there's a very small, it seems like it's a very small scene and, but it's absolutely brilliant. I, I like, and, and to be, for me now, like that's, that's all I kind of, they're the gigs I want to go see. Like I've seen, you know, U2 in Crow Park and I've seen the Killers and RDS and seen all these, all these big bands play, but man, there's nothing like watching, going watching a new band play at a real small, intimate venue. Like I went and saw the Murder Capital release their, release their album in, um, in the Button Factory. And there was only maybe like 2000 people there. <laughs> man, it was one of the best things I've ever been at, yeah. you know? It was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I came across Fontaine's DC in Forbidden Fruit. It was May 2018, and they were like in the small hot press tent, and there was like no yeah. one there. And <laughs> on the main, I was meant to, I was meant to go to that Vicar Street gig, but I had college exams that week. Ah, oh, yeah, so man, um, it was good, was it? Uh, it was unbelievable. So I went there with um. So obviously, Vinny, Vinny, Vinny Mulvey went there, and my brother went there, and um. The Dooney Brothers actually went there. We all went drinking points in the in the Liberty Bell pub, obviously because of the song. We, yeah. we drank points in, in in there and just went in. And yeah, it was just a, it's like I said, you, 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 there's nothing like watching a band who are trying to like. There's a lot of they're just trying to stomp their authority on. They're just trying to make something of it. You know, it's kind of like watching early days. Obviously, you know, every band is probably striving to do something like. Oasis did or something like that but like if you watch that if you watch that uh, documentary Supersonic and, you, and you're looking at them early days just, like these bands they just it's, it's, it's just they're, they're trying to be rock and roll you know? they're trying to just go 100 mile an hour and they don't really give a shit what anyone thinks and I think it's easy kind of to see see that when you go to Fontaine's DC gig or the Murder Capital gig like these guys are really, really you, just, you can just tell they're really really good you know and 
it's just something about that going watching a live gig. Yeah, it's just it's just a buzz, man. I think it's another addiction. <laughs> I am. Um, I've tickets for Fontaine's to see in Ivy Gardens next July. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I've tickets for Idols in Vicker Street. But uh, yeah, class. I want to go see them too, man. Yeah, that they they're they're another band. Well, with COVID, kinda, but with COVID, no, like I just want to be in a gritty room and have mosh pits and like, but that's not going to happen really, is it? Well, see, that's 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 why, like, for me, I I, I find I I'm, I'm so thankful that I actually went to those gigs because, like, man, early on and early on with running, I I wouldn't have went to any of these gigs, like, Joe, you know, I wouldn't have went to um, wouldn't really went to any festivals, never really went to Oxygen when all my mates were going to Oxygen, never been to Electric Picnic, never been to, didn't go to Oasis that time they played Slain, was it 2008 or something, something around then when everyone went to watch that. Um, missed all these all these big gigs and it wasn't until recently that I only really started going to, to gigs, you know, it yeah. wasn't until, like the, I've been to some concerts before that and some gigs, but like really I hadn't been to like, as I would say, like a proper, proper gig until, probably like that that pixies in trinity when they played there and it was funny enough because when i went there it was with my brother and and, and two of his friends and we kind of set up a whatsapp group after that and we actually all went to girl band together in, in dublin which was absolutely insane man like they that, just released that, that live album level of <laughs> yeah that was that was a different level of of nuts man you know and it was absolutely class do you agree with the Irish Times that that's the best album, the best Irish album ever? Nah, uh, listen, <laughs> listen. I, I I really like girl band, but it definitely is a very distinctive distinctive sound, and and but I don't I don't think it's the best one ever, but it is pretty good. Um, but I think seeing them live is just a, a whole different experience because yeah, there's no doubt about it. When you listen to girl band, you have to be uh, in a specific uh, head zone or, or mood or whatever you want to call it to 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 enjoy. For me, anyway, to enjoy their music, but. Uh, when I went to their gig, yeah, man, like that's just, it's just, yeah, it's just different. I don't, it's non-describable, you know, really. It was nuts. Must, uh, must try to get to them at Christmas, next Christmas. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, it's funny enough how I kind of came, came into, into so I, I listened to like a, a, Fontaine's, a Fontaine's DC. It's like you said, like, I think he might've been asked the question, the, the lead singer was asked like, like why why how did it come around that all these kind of irish bands are, are coming along and i think for those bands a lot of those bands it was girl band who, who, who yeah. paved the way because they've been around for a while i was like oh who yeah they had been around for a while but i'd never heard of them so i was like oh i'll listen to this and when i listened to them i was like jeez man this is a, this is a bit this is a bit heavy you know this is a bit mad but there was a song called lawman that's that's on that and um obviously on spotify when you whatever playlist i was listening to when i was doing a lot of driving lawman would come on and like the very the start of a lawman is just like a just like a big just just a it's just a big beat repetitive and there's nothing else really kind of going on then the guitar a guitar kicks in and it just be, it became addictive i was like oh man i, I actually kind of yeah this is doing something for me and i think that's probably the way the music's gone at the moment man it's very easy that like you know if you don't if a, a band might have a lot of good stuff but if you don't like it straight off the bat i think that's one thing with, with music at the moment and spotify like all this music so accessible that like you're only listening to one song at a time you listen to maybe you know you might hear an artist and you listen but you don't really listen to them do you know what i mean you don't sit there and actually listen to a, a whole album which is a it is a completely different experience than just listening to one to one song you know, yeah, yeah. so I think when I actually kind of made a conscious effort then to listen to a lot of their stuff, you find yourself actually really enjoying it. Maybe you know, it might, it might be the tenth time that you listen to it, and then you're like, oh man, no, this this is actually pretty good. 
No, they have a song called Why They Hide Their Bodies Under My Garage. But it was actually a, it's actually a, it's, an, it's kind of like a, that's actually an, an industrial techno kind of song that they cover. You know, okay. and it's a, so that, then that kind of led me onto industrial techno, man. So I started listening to Play One and all these sort of uh, guys. So, you know, it's mad. It's mad how kind of just, you just go from one tune to another and, and start listening to different bands, you know. Yeah, you always think your music knowledge is kind of finished and then you find this other thing and you're like, oh, this is something I never explored at all. And you're like, I know nothing about this. And yeah, like, man, yeah, like 100%. And, and like, I, I, I couldn't believe that. I, I'd never heard, like, I'm a huge Joy Division fan, but I hadn't heard of Joy Division until 2017, man. Really, you know? I was, my brother yeah. sent me that song, um, Disorder. And obviously my favorite song, probably my favorite song ever, Lovell Terrace Part, like, I hadn't heard of these, this band. And they're like from the 70s. So, and all of a sudden, then there's this whole new world of music that's written, whatever, 40, 50 years ago. And it's nuts. And it's just all there for you to listen to. And it's, it's just crazy when you think about it. And then like, I was listening to recently there, another band uh, kind of got into like psychedelic rock, man. You know, uh, yeah. I started listening to a band called Space, Spaceman 3. Have you ever heard of these? No, no, no. Yeah. And like, again, they're like, I think it's 70s or 80s uh, English psychedelic rock band and I'm like man I'm just on that buzz now so <laughs> it's just nuts like it's just absolutely but I, I said it's very important I think it's very important and I think for us as well living in it at the moment is that like yeah the, that Irish kind of post-punk era is just so it's so good at the moment you know? yeah. as I, I was like like a, the band, a band called Wayne Young Just Mustard all these guys you know uh, it's unreal man it's great. It's great just to have those bands of your time, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, do you listen to music while you're training? Um, yeah. I, I, it depends. Depends where I'm at. Like some days, I, I like the way phones are going at the moment. My phone's too fucking big to bring on a run anymore, so I don't. I don't bother bringing it because then it gets all sweaty, and then the, the touch yeah, screen, the touch yeah, screen yeah. is fucked up, and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't really do that anymore. But like, if I had a, if I had a, I, I would have always ran with music when I was on my own. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know a lot. Of, I, I go through phases of, of doing it and not doing it. But uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of, I was doing a, f- a fair bit of running on my own. So, and, and especially with the treadmill, I would have, I, I listen to it when I'm on the treadmill. Yeah, I just blare, I just blare music, man. That's it. Yeah, just, I kind of have my amp for my guitars there and I just hook it up to that and the fucking treadmill's nearly bouncing out of the room, man. <laughs> um, before a big race or a big session, what kind of music would you listen to? So... Um, at the moment it changes man like so uh, for a period of time there I was listening to you know I've kind of got uh, early on in my career would have been very superstitious as in like I think runners are a lot of runners like so I would have been like Joe I would if I if I ran in a pair of spikes I would always put in a pair or wear the same pair of spikes or I would have had my singlet the same way or I would have had the lead up to the race the exact same way but I think when you start running on the circuit and like there's all these external factors coming in and you can't really count I, I kind of realized that's all a lot of shite like you'll run, I'll run good one day doing something different I might do something completely different the other day and have a really good run so there was a time there though I was listening to like uh, Thin Lizzy all the time before I ran I would listen to a song called Emerald because I'm a huge Thin Lizzy fan and I would have I listened to that the whole time whereas now I'm kind of like just switch it up like just and it just depends what sort of buzz I'm on at the moment like I started listening to a lot of Daft Punk there recently so before all these before all these races I was listening to and again Vinnie Moby sent me I told him I was listening to Daft Punk he sent me that Alive album from 2008 or something and so just a big kind of it's just a it's just a live set and I just I've just been listening to that 
before all these races, but it changes, man. You know, yeah. but I would, um, and then sometimes though I wouldn't listen to music at all before race. So it just depends. It, I just kind of go by what mood I'm in. You know? Yeah. Favorite band. Mm. Favorite band. I, I, I feel like this is, it's, it's always hard for me to say what my favorite band is. Man. Do you know what I mean? Cause like, I've just been listening to so much different stuff since I've been, you know, like, like, as I said earlier, like uh, when I, I said, I count myself kind of lucky that my brother had a good taste in music from an, like man, from an early age. Like, I, I don't think I had a normal kind of upbringing to me. I, mean, I was listening to like Prodigy and Fatboy Slim and like, uh, so I remember being like six and seven and having that, having that fat, having that Prodigy album, uh, whatever, Oh, what is it? What is it called? Uh, the Fat of the Land. Do you remember? You know, Firestarter. No. You know that song? I am the Firestarter. Twisted Firestarter. Man, it could scare the shit out of you right? when, when you're a kid. But I was just addicted to, I was like, oh, I don't know, something about, something about the fact that it scared me. It kind of, I don't know, gave me adrenaline buzz or whatever. But I remember having a little Walkman listening to that, you know. Um, then I would have been listening to like Placebo, Smashing Pumpkins, like when I'm, all under the age of 10. Like that's, that's the stuff I was listening to. You know, I, I know I used to, I, I, I used to always kind of get my dad's kind of CDs and my brother's CDs. And I just go out to the car, man. And I just, I just blare that sort of stuff in the music, like Thin Lizzy and U2 and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with, 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 with what question you're asking, but that's, that's kind of like, Oh, favorite band. Yeah. So for me, a favorite band is so hard to kind of nail down because my music, what I've listened to over my whole life has, has changed all the time. Joe and like as I said like then when I went into into secondary school and stuff like that your taste in music changes you know no around that time then I don't know I can't remember what I was listening to around then but it would have been like Calvin Harris and Swedish House Mafia and all that sort of stuff you know and which I loved as well and then obviously when you get into college it changes and and now it's it's kind of it's kind of changed again so to nail down one band is to be honest man I can't I could nail I could oh I just can't do it yeah, so, because it was the genre, the genre has changed. The genres change all the time. Like, man, that wouldn't mean I could be listening to Planksty, like Chrissy Moore Planksty, you know, traditional Irish music. And I'd love that. And then I could be listening to, like, my dad is a huge Beach Boys fan and the Bee Gees love all that sort of stuff. Like, then I got on to stuff like the Righteous Brothers, Unchained Melody, which is completely different again. Like, that, that, that stuff is just, yeah, so it's so different. I can't. But at the moment, probably my favorite band is, is, is Fontaine's DC. That's probably at the moment. Yeah. Uh, overall, I would say I could name a few that were up there, like maybe Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Pixies. Uh, love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. In terms of like favorite guitarists, that's an easy question for me. It's hands down John Frusciante. Like, that's just, Are you excited he's back? Yeah, I am. You listen, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm just devastated that I'll never get to see yeah. the Red Hot Chili Peppers when, like, could you imagine going and being in, California when their guys are playing all those kind of gigs up and coming and going to see like I know you're going to ask me a question what my favorite gig that I I, I could go to I, like that's nailed down like I know what that is but like I, I I'm never going to see like I was meant to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers there and I think the, the Anthony Key just got sick and he couldn't he couldn't play in the O2 but like still like oh yeah I'd, I'd love to go see them but I wouldn't be buzzing the same as I as I, I would be now to go see like Fontaine's in the Ivy Gardens like I won't I, 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 I saw them absolutely buzzing. I saw them in three arena it just seemed like they yeah they weren't passionate about it it was just like they were there because it's it's a yeah. how, 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 how can they be like they can't really you know so no, it's yeah, like, it's, fair enough it's like I know you asked uh, Kieran Kelly like about like 
and he 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 has a he's a real good taste in music as well. So I enjoyed that. But like you, you ask him about Oasis, like yeah, if Oasis play in the morning, yeah, of course I want to be at it because that's. But we have an idea of what it's going to be like, and I bet you it won't be what we think it's going to be. Like we think it's going to be like Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher in their prime up there, and like Liam Gallagher is rock and roll, you know? mm. but like he's not the same rock and roll he was when he was twenty five, absolutely ripping it up. Like it's 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 different, you know. That's why. I was saying, like, I'm so thankful that you get to see these Irish bands at the moment. And, you know, it's great that they're Irish as well. Like, Irish has such a good history of really good music. But seeing these guys live, I, I would uh, encourage anybody at the moment who likes music to go either see the Murder Capital uh, or, or Fontaine's DC live. Yeah, they're just outrageous. Man. This is an equally unfair question, but a favourite album. <laughs> favourite album. Favourite album. Oh man, I probably should have. I probably should have thought about that before I. I kind of. To be honest, though, fav, favorite album at the moment. Yeah, a hero's death, man. That new Fontaine's DC. Like I, I suppose I, I listened to that all the way through, and that's an unbelievable album. Um, yeah. So, uh, cur- currently, I, I would say it's 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 that. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. But uh, favorite album of all time of. Again, I can't, man. I can't go there. It just hurts my head too much, man, to try pin down one because all of a sudden I think of something else about 10 minutes later and I'm like, oh, yeah, exactly. my God. No, here's that. It's good. Yeah. Idols, yeah. Idols' new album is out tomorrow, Ultramono. Yeah, that'd be good. Idols are great as well. Like, they're just... They're, and that's another gig I want to go see. Like one of my one of my brother's friends said he went to see Idols and he came home with one shoe. That's how mad it was. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's not like that he came home with one shoe, he came home with someone else's shoe because he lost his shoe and he came home with someone else's shoe that he found. So that that's the type of gigs I want to go to, man. Just just madness, you know? Just yeah, you just let loose. Best frontman slash front woman. Frontman's gotta be it's gotta be um Liam Gallagher, doesn't it, really? Yeah, that was my answer. Yeah. So. Like he is have you watched that Supersonic? I've watched it multiple times. It's class, man. Like, it, like he is, he is everything you probably want from a frontman. Like he, he doesn't even, it really, doesn't like, even do music. much on stage; just stands there. But it's like, yeah, but he doesn't. Do, yeah, but it, you just know that it's just like you just know he's he just, just has an attitude about him. Like, he's charismatic. He's witty. He's funny. He doesn't care. Uh, a bit of a rootless streak in him. He's an unbelievable singer. He has everything, really, Joe. And you know, like you said, he doesn't. He doesn't need to come out and talk absolute bollocks to the crowd or any of that sort of stuff. And and when he does talk, it's, it's usually funny, you know. So it's uh, yeah. I think he's. I think he's. He's the main man, like you know. And you hinted at it already. The one gig to be at. Yeah. So the one gig, and I've watched it. Oh, I'm so many times. But it's it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they played Slain in 2003. Um, yeah. Have you seen that gig? Have you? I haven't. I've seen like there's a video of just for Shanty's all these solos, and it's insane. Yeah. Well, yeah. So from a guitar, like like if you like guitar, like that, just the whole kind of first half an hour of guitar playing is just absolutely flawless, man. Like he's just he's just on fire. But my brother was at that gig, and like it's just you know whatever eighty thousand people in in Slane Castle, and uh, maybe it's the fact that it's in Slane, but like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, there's so many good tunes and. Um, John Frusciante is just unbelievable and the, the whole gig the whole day like I think you know the the Foo Fighters uh, supported them Feeder supported them um, I just think that gig yeah that would have just been and I don't really usually like like as I say to you like I don't really usually like the big the big gigs or the big concerts but that was one where yeah if you're in the mosh pit for that like you're just absolutely 
buzzing, I'd say. And if you if you if you it's you're watching that gig, you won't want to turn it off on YouTube. Like it's class. Yeah, it is. It's worth the watch. And John Frusciante on guitar, like 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 he's up there. He's my favorite guitarist of all time. So he's just he's just on flames from the get go. Even like even the little even the little uh, riffs that he plays, like leading into other songs. Like they're not anything, but they're absolutely unbelievable. They made a couple of songs themselves, you know. And, and he, yeah, and he can sing. Like the guy is just, yeah, he's a freak. You can you can see Anthony Kiedis and um, your man. There's like looking over at him, and being like, "Oh, I just let him off." And just, <laughs> he's on form tonight, like. But like the, the the reason the reason they're they're brilliant as well is that like you know obviously Flea Flea is an unbelievable bass player, and like a lot of the music I'm into is pretty much. It's it's a it's kind of like usually always it's just a the bass is pretty important in it with with a drum kit like it's just like a tight drum kit with like a just a just give me a bass drum a snare and a and a, and a hi-hat and fuck the crash off i don't really care about the crash but and a, and a good bass line and then all of a sudden it's just a, it's just a little melody but like for for, for boy for shanty so good man is like there's only one guitarist like he plays the rhythm and the melody he's able to do it all you know and it's not like you're listening to it going you feel like there's two guitars playing you know, yeah. he's just he's just unbelievable, man. Okay, that pretty much wraps it up. I have one final question. It's from um, it's a it's a fan question. The best Call of Duty player oh, in fan. the Dublin Track Club. <laughs> the best Call of Duty player in the Dublin Track Club. There's not many, man. There's not <laughs> many. Yeah, I would have to go with. Ooh, ah, oh, man, you put me on the spot there now. Well, I the, be- the, gi- be- the best one. Well, who? Uh, Faye obviously asked me that. It wasn't a Faye. He's just yeah. looking for me to say Faye. Yeah, well, Faye, uh, in fairness to Faye, it's, it's a toss-up between Faye and, uh, and Joey Lyons. But I, I, I'm going to go with Faye just because anyone that plays Warzone, they know you, you need someone to be flying into rooms with you. You don't, you don't want someone just camping or, being, or slow playing. And, and Faye is always one for flying in. So he plays pretty aggressive. So I'll say Faye, 100%. And he he's good me, with an L sniper. He told me it was Darfin. He did. Yeah. <laughs> nah, man, not that thing. That thing be awful. It's like a map, man. Looting up. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, that's what I mean. I played it today. I played Warzone. I'm completely addicted to Warzone, man. Big, big time. So, yeah, I played it today and I'm, I'm pretty uh, rusty, man, considering I've been away for, I don't know, four, four weeks. Mm-hmm.